Matthew 28, verses 1 to 10. After the Sabbath, at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back on the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell the disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the woman hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Welcome, everyone. Can I add my welcome? My name is Felix. I'm on the clergy team here at HDC, and I'm thrilled to be with you on this Easter Sunday. And that was brilliantly read. Thank you so much. Um, Do keep that passage open in front of you. Um, It'd be brilliant uh, to be able to uh, refer to that a bit later. But for now, let me pray and ask for God's help as we look at it. Our Father God, thank you so much that on this day where the sun is shining through that we can remember that you tell us that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. So would you shine a light now on our paths? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, I wanna start by uh, asking you to imagine that someone turned your life into a storybook, okay? Imagine maybe in a hundred years time, someone wrote a story all about you. I wonder what that story would be like. What would it be like? Would your life be um, a a happy storybook, a sad story, a comedy, a tragedy? Given the size of this room, I imagine there'll be all sorts of different types of stories. Some of us here today will be living lives that are pretty tough, and I know that is the case. And so for you, life doesn't feel like it's going particularly well. And so for you, your life story, well, you think, well, it'd be quite a tough read. For others, perhaps you're thinking your life is going really well. Life feels good at the moment. And so for you're thinking your storybook would be uh, quite an upbeat one, perhaps even a page turner. And then for the rest of us, and I think I would place myself into this category, if you're honest, life just feels quite often pretty ordinary. And so perhaps you're thinking my life story would be quite an ordinary one. But what I'm really interested in this morning is how does your story end? I assume your life will have an end, your story. Will it be a happy ending or a sad ending? The author, Robin Schneider, writes this. She says, you know how they categorise Shakespeare's plays, right? If it ends with a wedding, it's a comedy. And if it ends with a funeral, it's a tragedy. So we're all living tragedies because we all end the same way and it isn't with a wedding. In other words, Robin Schneider is saying... All of our stories are heading in the same direction. It's going to be the same type of ending for all of us, she says, and it involves a funeral. 
Did you know there are even websites out there that predict when you're going to die and you get given a countdown to that day. I was on this last night, so um, a screenshot of mine last night. Apparently my life is going to end, according to this website, uh, in 370,000 hours time, roughly. And so according to that, and according to Robin Schneider then, my life is a living tragedy. But what if I told you this morning that Robin Schneider is wrong? What if I told you that your life doesn't have to end in a tragedy with a funeral? What if I told you that there was on offer a new ending to your life? What if I told you that a happy ending to your life could not just be offered to you, but guaranteed for you? So I've got this uh, book here titled The Story of Your Life. So let's say it represents your life and mine. What if I told you your story, your whole story could be transformed and today we're particularly thinking about the end. What if I told you that we could rip out the so-called kind of tragic endings to our stories, just rip them out and then insert at the end a new, glorious, hope-filled, genuinely happy ending? Because that is what we're dealing with today. In our passage from the Bible, we're going to hear a very simple truth. That when we look to the stories of our own lives, we do not need to be afraid. On Jesus' end, you can depend. It really is as good as it sounds. And now we're probably thinking, a few of us are probably thinking, you know, this all sounds a bit suspicious. You know, isn't this a bit of kind of Christian wishful thinking? A number of years ago, a study came out confirming something which we probably already knew, that stories with happy endings are more likely to be enjoyed. And the filmmakers at Disney have known this for years. And so what Disney have done time and time again is take a classic fairy tale and then sugarcoat the ending. And I know there's some children in the room who haven't gone to their groups. Maybe just put your uh, hands over your ears, okay? Because in the original Cinderella... Okay, no, let's start with the film. Okay, so in the film, Cinderella, she lives happily ever after with Prince Charming, of course. But in the original, Cinderella is a murderer who kills her stepmother. Hearing gasps from down here. (laughs) How about Pinocchio? Pinocchio. In the film, Pinocchio ends up becoming a real boy. Well, in the original, not so much. Pinocchio dies. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, the old classic, In the original, Snow White savagely murders the evil witch. The Little Mermaid, Ariel, turns herself into sea foam. Tangled, Rapunzel's prince blinds himself. The hunchback of Notre Dame, he dies. He's my favourite. Mulan, she also dies. Pocahontas, captured and then dies on a boat. So when it comes to the Christian faith, maybe we think, you know, it all sounds like a fairy tale, a bit like Disney, you know, changing how the story ends just to make us feel a bit better about ourselves. And frankly, the passage we had read out to us so well, well, it sounds a bit like a fairy tale, doesn't it? In verse two, we have a violent earthquake. In verse two, we then get an angel from heaven at Jesus' tomb. And then in verse nine, we get Jesus himself risen from the dead. And so you might be thinking, 
how can a story written, I don't know, 2,000 years ago, hundreds of miles away, about things so out of this world, be true and change your story today? Well, before you dismiss it out of hand, let me suggest two things to consider first, okay? Number one, we do science out of observation, not declaration. Here's what I mean. A number of years ago now, I struggled believing in the resurrection because it's supernatural. I declared that supernatural things just don't happen, and therefore the resurrection of Jesus just didn't happen. But that wasn't being scientific. That's trying to do science out of declaration. But to be scientific means to do science out of observation. Do stones sink in water? Yes. But when I see a stone being skimmed along the water, I don't dismiss it out of hand and say, that wasn't a stone. No, to be scientific is to observe. Perhaps under certain circumstances, a stone doesn't just sink when it's skimmed along the water. Perhaps under certain circumstances, supernatural things could happen. Perhaps the one who created the whole world could temporarily change the physical laws of this world. We need to observe the evidence in order to be scientific. If I didn't see it happen myself, what did other people see and observe? Is their testimony credible? Consideration number two. You might be thinking the resurrection of Jesus is all just wishful thinking. You know, perhaps you're thinking, you know, Christians, they just so want it to be true, they manage to convince themselves it is true. And so you just dismiss the resurrection as a made-up story. But the problem with that are the eyewitnesses themselves. Over 500 people saw Jesus rise from the dead, alive after he had died. The close followers of Jesus were so convinced that they had seen and met with Jesus after he had died that they were killed and sometimes in excruciating ways still maintaining their claim. Now just to be clear, their deaths are very different to the deaths of suicidal religious fanatics. You know, suicidal terrorists die for what they believe to be true, whether or not it actually is. But no one is stubborn enough to die and be tortured for what they know to be false. Jesus' followers went to their deaths still claiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. The story of Jesus rising from the dead is no made-up fairy tale. I would even go as far to say that the fact that we're told there were earthquakes and angel makes me even more convinced it's true. If you're uh, wanting people to believe a lie about something you had made up, you wouldn't start including an angel and earthquakes into your story. And if you were wanting people to believe a lie about something you'd made up in this area in the first century, you certainly wouldn't use women as your primary witnesses. Because in both Jewish and Greco-Roman circles at that time, women counted for little. They could not even bear witness in a court of law. This would be a hopeless lie if it was made up. And so this is all to say that this is no Disney fairy tale we're dealing with, with a made-up sugary ending. This is history. It happened. And it has the power to change your life story. Because when it comes to the end, for me, possibly in 370,000 hours' time, maybe, you do not need to be afraid. 
You don't need to be afraid. On Jesus' end, you can depend. So if that's true, let's see how the story of Jesus' life ends. In the chapter just before ours, in Matthew's gospel, we read that Jesus died. His time was up and he was executed savagely on a wooden cross. Matthew is very careful to tell us who specifically watched Jesus die. He writes of Jesus' death. It's going to come up on the screen. Many women were there watching Jesus die from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. So who watched Jesus die on the cross? Well, the two Marys watched him die. Matthew then tells us that Jesus' body was placed in a tomb belonging to a man called Joseph from Arimathea. Matthew is very careful to tell us who specifically watched Jesus being placed in this tomb. He writes of Jesus' burial, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were sitting there opposite the tomb. So, the two Marys saw Jesus die and they saw where he was buried. Why is that important? Well, it tells us that the two Marys in our passage today can't have got the wrong tomb. And it also tells us that they came on that very first Easter Sunday expecting to see Jesus' body in the tomb. We can see that in what the angel says to them in verse 5 of our passage today. Let me read verse 5. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. You can't blame these ladies for being afraid, can you? They're talking to an angel. In fact, just before Uh, this moment. The guards were kind of literally shaking with fear. But for these women, their fear was from something more than just the angel. Let's take a look at that verse again. Verse five. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. In other words, their fear was connected to the fact that Jesus had been killed, crucified. Which leaves us with the question, why would Jesus dying scare them? Well, if we'd been reading through Matthew's gospel, we would have seen that Jesus was no ordinary human being. He claimed to be God's son, the promised king. He claimed to be ushering in a new kingdom, a kingdom that this world had never seen, the kingdom of heaven a place where there would be perfect justice, a place where there would be perfect love, a place where the blind can see and the lame can walk, a place where there is no need to fear, a place where you do not even need to fear death. And as you read through the gospel accounts in the Bible, you see Jesus claiming to be the one who can take us, you and me here this morning, into that kingdom. That's why the two Marys went to watch Jesus die. That's why they went to Jesus' tomb. And that's why they returned to Jesus' tomb. Knowing Jesus had been the biggest moment in their lives. And now they thought it was all over. For a moment in their sad lives, and they did leave quite sad lives, they had entertained the thought that maybe, just maybe, there might be a genuinely happy ending to their story. Maybe this Jesus was the one who could make it happen, who could bring them into God's kingdom. But then Jesus died. 
So they were resigned to the idea that there was nothing more to life than this. They thought their lives were doomed. They were, as Schneider put it, living tragedies. That's why they were scared. When I was a child, I remember um, having a dream. Remember this really clearly, having a dream in which I died. And because I died in the dream, as you always do, you wake up instantly. And I was suddenly petrified at the thought of what happens after I die. It was terrifying considering that this life could be all that there is. The atheist Richard Dawkins once said, there is in this universe, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. And as I lay in bed, the idea of there being no design, no purpose, scared me out of my wits. I was terrified at the thought. I was terrified, that is, until the morning when I distracted myself with important things like eating breakfast. But in truth, we do a pretty good job of distracting ourselves even as adults, don't we? From thinking about the end of our stories. We don't really like talking about death, I don't. But the reality is, of course, the clock is ticking. So what's the end of your story going to be like? For the women in this story, the angel tells them in verse five, do not be afraid. How can the angel be so confident? Well, because of what the angel says next. Verse six, he, Jesus, is not here. He has risen, just as he said. In other words, Jesus is the real deal. He is the one who could change your story's end. His resurrection proves that Dawkins is wrong. Jesus rising from the dead shows us that there is more to life than this. His resurrection proves that Schneider is wrong. Your story does not need to just end with a funeral. Remember, you do not need to be afraid. On Jesus' end, you can depend. Well, if you're finding it hard to hear from an angel, why not hear it from Jesus himself? Take a look at verse nine. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The angel tells us not to be afraid. Jesus himself says, do not be afraid. The end of his story can be the end of your story, my story. By putting our trust in Jesus, we do not need to fear how our story ends. By putting our trust in Jesus, we don't even need to fear the consequences from the ways that we have messed up in the past. And we have all messed up. We don't treat each other as we should. We don't treat God as we should. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. I have dealt with it all. My death has paid for your sins, my sins. And therefore not even death, which the Bible describes as the wages of sin, can ruin your story's end. Jesus rising from the dead is the proof of it. It seals it, it guarantees it, and he offers us the very same end. Resurrected life, life in his kingdom. So will you today, this Easter, 
Maybe for the very first time, as you hear that clock ticking, not be afraid. On Jesus' end, you can depend because Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Amen.